You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. If we haven't met, my name is Kenny. My wife, Cammie, and I get the pleasure of leading an MC over in Phoenix and, uh, It's great to be with y'all this morning. We get to continue in the story, the true story of the whole world today. The great sage of our day, Joanna Gaines, has, yes, you know, has this saying that she lives by, and she says that food with a story tastes better. Food with a story tastes better. I could take you to Sugar and Spice Donuts in Litchfield Park, Arizona, and give you a cinnamon crumble donut, and you'll say, hey, this is pretty good but it'll taste better when I tell you that's the donut we had at my wedding. It's got a story, right? I met a guy this week who uh, had traveled to Guatemala and he told me that coffee just tastes better when you've met the person who grew the beans. It just, there's something that happens when you know the story behind a food or, or drink that you're enjoying. So something we do at Missio pretty often is we uh, gather in groups, we discuss, we process the things that we're learning. And today I'd like to start by doing that. And what I'd love for you to do, it's really theological. Just get around uh, with somebody around you and tell a story about a food or drink that you've enjoyed in the past few days. It could be as simple as, hey, we went to this new, new place with a new friend and we really enjoyed it. Or it can be, uh, I just roasted Ethiopian beans for my coffee business and it turned out really good. So go ahead and gather with people around you share a quick story of a food or drink that you've enjoyed in the past few days. All right, all right. I hope you are not too hungry. I hope you will bear with me through this, uh, through this teaching this morning. But it's true, right? Food with a story just tastes better. Something happens in us when we know the story behind what we are consuming. My goal this morning, one of my goals, is to help us to get to that point with the scripture that we are reading as a community through our Bible reading plan. We're reading a lot of the epistles this fall right through, we just finished Romans and now we're in 1 Corinthians. And my goal is to tease out a little bit of the story of the guy who wrote what we are reading. Uh, And if you've been with us, if this is your first time, we've been teaching through the story of the whole world, the biblical story all year. This is stop number 31, believe it or not, in the biblical narrative. And uh, Nick last week really beautifully ushered us into the fifth act of the story. This is the act where we get to know the church, where we, where we get to see where we have a place in the story. And so today we're going to take a step forward in that narrative. We pick up the story after the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? He has been raised to life and victory over death and evil. And Luke, who writes the book of Acts, he opens with this passage in Acts chapter 1. He says, after Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And this is important. He said, 
It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So again, last week we we read the story of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit was poured out on the people of God. And and I said it before, I don't want to use the same term twice, but it was beautiful how Nick taught that the... Pentecost was really the redemption of the Tower of Babel, right? The story where in in the Old Testament, uh, God scattered all the people because they were trying to become uh, like God or greater than God. And he scattered them with the different languages. But in the New Testament, in, in the Jerusalem church, God had gathered his people and scattered them out for the sake of mission, right? To be able to go and, and proclaim the good news to all people. And then we, we move forward in Acts and uh, we read a few different stories of how the church in Jerusalem is growing. Through the apostles Peter, James, John, we, we see them teaching and preaching the word of God and reinterpreting the story that many people in Jerusalem would know, the Old Testament story of Israel, through the lens of Jesus Christ. So we see Peter preach a wonderful sermon that lines up all the events of the Old Testament and says, this man Jesus is the fulfillment of what we read. Uh, Then we move forward a little bit further and we we meet this guy named Stephen. Now you may know the story of Stephen. He was a wonderful man. He had become enamored with Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he uh, he was performing signs of the kingdom to come, miraculous signs. And he was declaring that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus is king. And so the people of Jerusalem weren't too fond of this. Right, many in the, uh, the religious elite of, of Jerusalem began to question Stephen and accuse him of being blasphemous. Right, And so the high priest came to, G- to, to Stephen and he said, what do you have to say for this? And Stephen did much the same thing that Peter did. He took the events of the Old Testament that the people of Jerusalem would know. He lined them up. He talked a lot about the Exodus story. And he said, this guy, Jesus, who you just crucified, is the fulfillment of God's promise in the Old Testament. He went as far to say the people of Jerusalem had murdered the king of the world. So naturally, the people of Jerusalem did not like this, and they brutally murdered Stephen. They stoned him to death. And this is where we pick up our story today that we're going to read together in Acts chapter 9, because... uh, Luke, who writes the book of Acts, he tells us that there was a guy at the stoning of Stephen who approved of Stephen's killing. And that guy was named Saul, who would later be known as Paul. And so we're going to read together uh, from Acts uh, chapter 9. And to set this up a little bit more, when, when Stephen was killed and Saul was there to approve of it, a great persecution broke out in all of Jerusalem, right? Against the people that followed Jesus, against the early church. And because of this persecution, uh, the people of Jesus were scattered all throughout Judea and Samaria. Now, do you remember what Jesus had said before he went to sit at the right hand of God? He said, you will be my people, you will be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, and then to the very ends of the world. So that sets up our story today, starting in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It reads like this. 
Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground. It sounded like a train coming on the way and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. Imagine, imagine being the men traveling with Saul, right? You had to be kind of of one mind with Saul. Like, oh yeah, this dude's doing the right thing. He's persecuting these Christians. They don't know what they're talking about. And all of a sudden this happens and you're on the road with him. You gotta, gotta imagine how they felt. Luke tells us that they heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Verse 10, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim the name or my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hand on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Amen. The word of the Lord. So what I'd like to do today as we read this story is look at it from three different vantage points. We're gonna kind of zoom in a couple of times on this story. And we're gonna start from a very 30,000 foot view of what's going on here in the story that we read of Saul coming to know Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so first, in the context of everything we've been teaching uh, all year, this is a huge point in the story of God. Right, this is a pivot. Uh, my, my good friend Ben puts it this way. He says that this is a hinge in the story of the early church. That this is the moment when Jesus' words start to be fulfilled that not only will the gospel be preached in Jerusalem, not only will the good news be preached to Judea and Samaria, but now the gospel turns to the ends of the world. And it's in Paul that that happens. Jesus tells Ananias that Saul was his chosen instrument to preach to the Gentiles and to their kings. So we see first here that this is a great hinge in the story of God. In many ways, the road to Damascus is where God's kingdom first takes a turn towards us, as Jesus predict predicted that it would. 
Much of the rest of the New Testament details the story of Paul, right? Paul tells his story really well in his letters, as we've already read. And we see that Paul takes steps towards cities like Ephesus and Rome and Athens and Philippi, and he helps to plant churches. He's discipled in the church at Antioch, which is one of the great first church planting churches. And it's really on his ministry that the, the news of Jesus's resurrection is brought to the rest of the known world at the time. And Jesus chose this guy to do it. And that's, that's the beautiful thing I think about this story, one of the very many beautiful things, is just how absurd it was that Jesus would choose Saul. I mean, think about it. Ananias knew his reputation. He obviously had a reputation among the people around Jerusalem, especially among the Christians. It, it says that he was breathing out murderous threats. Like, you can't really get much more bold than that. Earlier in chapter 8, it says that Paul had started destroying the church, using the word destroy. So this guy Saul, I know, sorry if, if I'm annoying you by flipping back and forth, I'm annoying myself too. But Saul and Paul, same guy. Um, but uh, this guy Saul, he was not a friend of the church. And he had decided that it was right that, that many of them would be thrown in prison. So you're thinking like, really? Like this is the dude that Jesus has chosen? But if you're tracking with us through the story, this may not be surprising to you at all, right? Because God we've seen has often worked through the most unexpected messengers in his story that God chooses to work through his creation, not on the merit of Saul, right? Saul was a smart guy, but he wasn't a good guy. Not on the merit of Saul, but by Jesus' choosing, does Saul become the messenger of the church? So now at this great turning point in the story, Jesus chooses a man who stood in total opposition to the things of God. Paul is now a member of the lineage of God's family, not because of any of his own merit, but because of Jesus welcoming him in as an adopted son. So as we dive deeper into this passage, don't lose the scope, right? This is a huge turning point in the story of the early church. But now I'd like to zoom in just a little bit. We talked about the big picture, the grand story of God and how this affects it. But now I wanna zoom in and look at how it affects the community of God, God's people, his church, what we can learn from it as a community. And there are a couple of things here. Uh, first, as we read this story, it's important to see that um, God, again, chooses to work through a people. We see multiple times in this story and really in the entire book of Acts that God reveals his kingdom through his people. Of course, the spirit is at work and doing miraculous works and healings and even appear, Jesus appearing miraculously to Saul on the road to Damascus. But again and again and again, God chooses to build his kingdom through his people. God chooses to reveal himself through a people. It's members of God's church who help to welcome Paul into the family. Isn't that beautiful? Like on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to Paul, to Saul, and it caused great confusion. He's blind for three days. He doesn't know what's going on. Luke tells us that he spent that time praying. He's probably seeking God and saying, what the heck is going on? Or in the words of, of Nate Hughes, he probably wasn't saying what the heck, right? Like what is going on? And it's God's people who help to clarify this moment to Saul. It's God's people who, 
who Jesus chooses to use to bring the Holy Spirit to Saul. We read of Ananias. And as we read through the epistles, Romans and 1 Corinthians, we're reminded of this constantly, right? Uh, we just read, I think on Monday or Tuesday, Romans chapter 16. And that's an entire chapter of Paul writing to the people of Rome, name by name, right? Just calling them out, but in a good way and saying, oh, give my greetings to this guy. I love that dude, right? This lady, she is a, 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 just a harbinger of God's grace. Make sure she knows I said hi, right? Paul loved the people of the church. When he grew and was formed in the gospel, he developed into a man who really loved people. He wasn't just a theologian or a teacher or a lecturer. He was a person who saw the value in the people of God's church. And that's, there's one thing that, that I'd like to be like a practical tip from what we're reading today is remember that as we read the epistles that these are letters written from a guy who loves the people to whom he's writing, right? They aren't just great lectures or theological proofs. They're letters from a man who loved the people he's writing to. We read this in, in 1 Corinthians. We read this on, uh, I think Wednesday maybe, 1 Corinthians 1. It says, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on saying, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him, you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And like, I mean, Sarah was saying it earlier, we've been talking about it in the group me if you're in it. Some of these epistles get dense, right? There's a lot to work through. But it's important to remember that as Paul is writing, as we're reading his words, that he's writing to people he loves. He's writing to a people who God has chosen to reveal his kingdom through. So remember that we too, as a people, are the embodiment of God's kingdom to the people of our city. That God has chosen to reveal his kingdom, reveal the truth of Jesus' resurrection through his people. And again, he works in miraculous ways and he doesn't need us to do that, but he has chosen us to be the representation of his kingdom. So be remembered, be encouraged by that. If you were to ask Charlie, um, what is Missio Dei Communities? One of the ways he might answer that is to say, we are an expression of Christ's church, right? Not necessarily, you know, not that we are just a church, but we are an expression of Christ's church. And the beauty of that is that we are a member of God's people and we are expressing God's kingdom to the city that he has called us to. And that's beautiful. And Paul came to know that through the Holy Spirit. So remember that as a community, we can learn from this story and see that God chooses to work through a people for the furthering of his kingdom. And now finally, I want to zoom in a little bit more. We talked about the big scope of, of universal history and how this shapes that. We talked about us as a community and how this can shape us there. 
But now I want to hone in and see what we can learn as individuals from this story. And there's a lot of, there are a lot of different directions we could go here. A lot of people may focus on the conversion of Saul and, and show how Saul's conversion is, is much like our own, where we were dead in sin and in, in Christ we are made new, I mean new creations, right? Some might focus on the fact that uh, Saul, it seems like, spent years being formed in the gospel before he was sent out on mission uh, from uh, Antioch with Barnabas, right? That's a great story, and there's a lot to learn from that. But I actually want to focus on a different character in this story this morning, and actually two different characters. And those are the guys named Judas and Ananias. Now, as you read the story, Judas is almost a footnote. His name is said once. Doesn't really describe what he does, but Luke tells us that Saul, when he went to Damascus in this great time of confusion, went to stay with Judas. Now, I don't know Judas's backstory. I don't know if he was one of the guys who was traveling with him. I don't know if he was a believer in Jesus, a follower of the way, but he showed great hospitality to Saul in a time of confusion and anxiety and fear. There's a great quote that I was reminded of this week. Uh, it's by Henry Nouwen. And if you didn't know, Henry Nouwen is, is it the namesake or is it the other way around? Is Henry Mio the namesake or Henry Nouwen the namesake? Either way. Yeah, Henry Nouwen, awesome. But he says this, he says, hospitality is not to change people, but to offer a space where change can take place. That's so beautiful. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer a space where change can take place. And this happened in this story, right? It's in Judas's home where the Holy Spirit is breathed out onto Saul. It's in Judas's home that Saul spent three days fasting and praying and seeking the Lord so that he might know what the heck is going on. It's in Judas's home, if you notice my favorite detail, we were talking about food earlier. After uh, Saul had been fasting and praying and Ananias comes to him and he's baptized and welcomed into the community of Jesus, they eat a good meal, right? That's an important detail in this story. He found, uh, he, he was sustained not just in the baptism by the Holy Spirit, but in the good meal in Judas's home. This hospitality created the space for change to take place. Again and again in God's word, we see that the spirit moves in places where someone has been hospitable. Another great quote, Rosaria Butterfield. By the way, uh, Butterfield is the greatest name for someone who has written a book about hospitality <laughs> because you can't have hospitality without butter, right? So, uh, at least in my, my view of the world. Uh, but she says this, she says, hospitality reaches across worldview to be the bridge of gospel grace. Jesus did not come with self-defense. He came with bread. He came with fish. So too must we. Wow. You know, we have so many wonderful stories and examples of hospitality in our midst. Um, many of you met uh, friends from all over the U.S. last weekend through Soma School. If you don't know, Soma School is a sort of conference that the Missio congregations in Phoenix host. And the way it works is these people come and they're equipped by wonderful people like Sarah and Chris and Charlie and Kevin and Chris and all the Chris's. Um, and, but while they're here, they stay in the homes of people within the Missio family, which is so cool. And we got to be at the celebration dinner on, on Monday night. 
and the, uh, the guests were just sharing some great stories. And a lot of them had said, hey, this one specific equipping was really cool. The story of God was amazing. But most of them had said something along the lines of, it was the hospitality of my host that made space for the spirit to encounter me this weekend. That's beautiful. Our very own Sarah Hamilton was the most shouted out host across all three Missio congregations. And so we have a lot of people in our midst to learn from when it comes to hospitality and creating spaces for the spirit to move. So Judas can teach us something. Similarly, Ananias can teach us this morning. He displayed great faithfulness to God's mission by following Jesus into the unknown. Um, Sorry, parents, if that gets a song stuck in your head. But Ananias, he faithfully followed Jesus into a space of fear, into a hard space. Ananias says to Jesus, why would I do that, essentially? Right, you know this guy, I know this guy, I know what he's come here to do, why would I do that? But the beautiful thing about Ananias, we, we hardly get into his introduction, And Luke makes it clear that he knew Jesus. If you notice the difference in Saul's reaction to Jesus on the road to Damascus and Ananias' reaction to Jesus, Saul says, what does he say? When Jesus appears, he says, who are you, Lord? Right, there's some submission, but also some fear. He doesn't know what's going on. But Ananias, when Jesus appears to him, all he says is, yes, Lord. Right? I think of elsewhere in scripture where we read, speak now for your servant is listening. That's the vibe that I get from Ananias. And he was willing to be faithful and obedient, even in a space of fear. Now he knew, like we said, he knew of Stephen's call, killing. He knew who Saul was. He knew what he was doing. And he expressed that to Jesus. He says, hey, Jesus, I don't wanna do that. That makes me fearful. And Jesus says, go, do it, right? He, he makes clear, this is the guy that I have chosen as my instrument of choice to preach my name to the Gentiles. And Ananias faithfully obeys even into a space of fear and unknown. So again, God moves miraculously through the hands and feet of his people, right? It wasn't Ananias who took the scales from Saul's eyes. It was the spirit of God. But it was Ananias's obedience that created the space for the spirit to move. So Ananias's obedience to Jesus and Judas's hospitality made space for the spirit to move towards Saul in transformation, literally removing the scales from his eyes that he might see. So in this great movement of the story that we talked about, this is a pivot, a hinge in the story of the early church. We see the simple everyday faithfulness of two people. And they're the examples that we can follow in this story. So what I'd like to do before we come to the table is have you go back to the people who you gathered with a few minutes ago and answer this simple question. Which example between Judas's hospitality and Ananias's obedience is the spirit stirring in you to follow this morning. Ready? Go. Uh, 
Awesome. Well, thank you for engaging with that. I heard some great conversation. Um, not to call them up, but up here, uh, I heard a couple great comments. One was, I, I just feel like I need to know the depth of hospitality, right? Deeper than just preparing a meal or making somebody a cup of coffee. What does it mean to be hospitable at its core? And another question of, I feel like I need to um, be more aware of Jesus' calling so that I can be ready to obey like Ananias was, right? And not like Saul on the road. He had a task and he had a, de a destination and he didn't have space for Jesus to interrupt him and call him towards obedience. So great stuff. I hope that, that uh, there's some good conversations for y'all too. But of course, Judas and Ananias were following the example of another in their hospitality and in their obedience, right? We know that Jesus displays great hospitality towards us as he welcomes us into his family and to his table, right? We also know that Jesus displayed great obedience to the Father in submitting to death on a cross. So we're gonna prepare to come to the table this morning. I'd love for you to stand with me. I wanna read this, this scripture um, because I'm not great at communicating ahead of time. It's not the scripture on your sheet. But I'd love to read this with y'all. And then what we do every week, if this is your first time, we, we try and declare the mystery of our faith, which is on your sheet. It's that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. So we'll declare that in just a moment. But our main man, Paul, wrote this to the church in Philippi. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, yes, even to death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus has displayed great hospitality towards us as he's prepared this table as we take these elements in our communion, this bread and this juice, this reminds us and forms us in the truth that Jesus is alive, that he is the resurrected king. But he's also been obedient to the Father, even obedience to death on a cross. And we can declare this truth that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. So would you declare that with me? It's on your sheet. Let's say it together. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Amen, amen. Would you come to the table?